Good evening, church. Welcome to the first life class in the month of August, our month of true freedom. For he who the Son has set free is free indeed. You are going to be truly liberated, set free uh, this month in the mighty name of Jesus. Get ready to go to the next level. I'm so excited about this month's life class and this series of teachings that we're going to be going into. They are essential teaching for any and every believer. I really don't want you to miss it. The topic of our series, this new series we're starting today is church politics. Yes, church politics. <laughs> You're going to enjoy this one. You just stay tuned. It's going to be great. Are you ready? Let's go straight to God's word to start tonight. We're going to that famed um, scripture in John chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God, verse 17, did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he did not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Hallelujah. Powerful portion of scripture right there. All of us are conversant with that portion of scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. God so loved the world that he gave his first and his best, not just his first, his only, and his very best to the world. Guess what? God still loves the world. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but rather to save the world. That's why Romans in chapter 8 and verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for anyone that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus' assignment was not condemnation, but salvation. Hallelujah. He did not come to condemn anyone because everyone was already condemned. We read it in that, that verse. It said that he, he who does not believe is condemned. What? Already. Everyone was already under condemnation. Number one reason that everyone was under condemnation was because of sin. The wages of sin is death. So that put all men under condemnation. But guess what? There's a second condemnation, and that is the condemnation of not accepting or receiving Jesus Christ as Lord, not believing. So God provides a way of escape. Now you refuse to take that way of escape. It now makes you doubly condemned. Because you are already condemned on the sin. Now he's provided a way for you to get out from that condemnation. You refuse to take that way out. It makes you doubly condemned. Hallelujah. This is the truth. So everyone was already condemned. Jesus did not come in on the scene to condemn us. He came in onto the scene to save us, to redeem us. You know about redemption. To redeem is to buy back. He came to buy us back. Now, whenever you hear the word redemption, it makes you realize that it was not this way in the first instance. It's a buying back. The Bible, after the fall of man, is all about the divine redemption plan. 
God trying to buy back, God trying to return things back. You see, when you even see the word redemption, re and redemption, re is about returning. God wanted to return the world back to the original plan through redemption. Because what's happening right now is not God's plan A. Woo! Redemption is about returning back to the original plan. And the subject of my meditation, the beginning of this series on church politics tonight is God's plan for the world. Type it in the feed right now. If you are seated beside somebody, why not ask the person right now, do you know God's plan for the world? God's plan for the world. Let's pray. Mighty Father, I ask that you endow me and that you empower me and that you cause my tongue to be as the pen of the ready writer, that I might inscribe upon the hearts of the men and women that are listening to me tonight your living word, and that by reason of the truth of your word, they will be elevated to a new level of experience with you. Lord, we pray that revelation will flow freely, unhindered by any demonic force or power. Great light, great illumination, great freedom in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. As we start to get things into their proper places and create an alignment for the heavens to be manifest upon the earth. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, I do pray. Amen. The subject of this series is church politics. Church politics. Now, that hopefully has triggered your interest and you want to find out what's that really about. What comes to your mind anytime you hear that phrase, church politics? Uh, can you quickly type what comes to mind if you're on any feed? Just quickly type what comes to mind when you hear the word church politics or the phrase church politics. I will uh, imagine that it does not evoke pleasant feelings when you hear church politics. When, you, when people use that phrase even in statements, it's not in a positive light. It is more often than not in a negative light because we associate the idea of church politics with inequality, inequity, unfairness, and favoritism. So we have a lot of negative associations with the concept or the idea of church politics. We feel that these two words, church and politics, should not be in the same sentence, let alone in the same phrase. Uh, because we naturally associate politics, politics with negativity and with lies, with deviousness and deception. We think that politics is inherently dirty. And so we, a lot of us have grown up in Christian cultures that initially taught that you should not get into politics or into government because politics is inherently dirty. Now, the dictionary defines politics this way. Stay with me, we're going somewhere. Politics are the activities associated with the governance of a country or other area, especially the, the, the debate and conflict amongst individuals or parties having or hoping to achieve power. Right now in the United Kingdom at this time, there's a lot of politics happening. 
we have two final candidates veering to be voted in by the conservative members to be the next prime minister of the United Kingdom. So there's politics, there's horse trading and things that are going on in the background to finally determine who will be in that seat. Every country has its own form of politics to determine who will rule. The activities, another definition for politics are the, the activities within an organization. Listen closely to these definitions because they serve as the foundation for what we're going to build upon. It says the activities within an organization that are aimed at improving someone's status or position. That's politics. And are typically considered to be devious and divisive. Okay. So it, it, these are activities that end up favoring or improving someone's status or position over another. Okay. Um, when we use the statement to play politics, is to act for political or personal gain rather than for from principle. So the idea is that someone is elevated or given favor or given a position uh, because of some form of favoritism, bias, and not because he really deserves it. It's not because of merit. So we think that politics is contrary to merit, contrary to having deserved a particular position. Synonyms for politics include power struggle, manipulation, machinations, maneuvering, jockeying for position, wheeler dealing, opportunism. These are all considered to be politics. So we, we see politics as inherently unfair. It's inherently unfair. And even though we, we have all these negative associations with politics, uh, you and I cannot go through life without encountering and experiencing politics, you see. Politics is the way to power. <laughs> you can't get to power without going through politics. Politics is the way we choose. Listen closely to this. This is my own definition. Politics is the way we choose who will be in power and who will be favored or who will have their way. Politics, therefore, is the way we make judgments. Politics is the way we make choices. Uh, and as much as we don't like politics, human beings are naturally political. They're naturally political. Human beings, no matter how much we don't like politics, wherever there are people, there is politics. There is jockeying. There is uh, invested interest. I want it this way. You want it that way. So we start the whole competition to as to who will get their way. Once there is more than one person, there will be politics. You cannot avoid it. If there is more than one person, there will be politics in that space between husband and wife, between parents and children, between family and family, between um, this borough and that borough, between in the whole nation, between nation and nation. Politics is wherever you find people, there will be politics. In fact, can I tell you that even if you are the only person on the face of the earth, even with you all by yourself, you will have 
politics, politics between your spirit, your soul, and your body as to which part of you is going to gain ascendancy, which part of you is going to have its way. Hallelujah. So politics everywhere. We can't avoid it. We might not like it, but it is just the reality of the world that we live in. Politics can and might be minimized, but it cannot be eliminated. It cannot be eradicated. It is unavoidable. We might do everything in our power and our power to minimize politics, but we cannot disappear politics, if you like. We cannot eradicate it. It is unavoidable. But we are still uncomfortable with the idea of church politics. Church politics because we see the church as an institution that's meant to be balanced that meant meant to be just and meant to be fair and we've just said that politics is, seems to be inherently unfair and not just so we consider church and politics to be diametrically opposed to one another uh, and and so we we don't like and can't accept the the concept or the idea of church politics, all right? Yeah, you understand? You get what I'm saying? I hope you do. If you do, just say yes in the in the feed, Facebook, YouTube. Just say, yeah, I get it. I, I see. I, I can identify with what you're talking about. But if people are inherently, naturally political, and if politics follows people and people make up the church, that means there cannot but be politics in the church, whether we like it or not. When people who are naturally political come into the church, they bring their politics into church. Now, we've got to find a way of sorting that out. We've got to find a way of getting the right balance. We've got to find a way of moving away from personal biases and choices to the principles of the kingdom. I'm getting ahead of myself, but let's go on discussing this whole concept of church politics and what it means. Hallelujah. We want to separate church from politics and politics from the church. But real life experience seems to keep on bringing the two things together. There are those who, are, who hold the belief that uh, promotes the idea that the church t needs to take control of the governments of the world, of the nations, and by legislation, listen closely, enforce the values of the church on the nations of the earth. So there are people that that's their theology, that this is the assignment of the church, that ultimately the assignment of the church is to enter into government, into the rulership of nations, and, there, and then be able to legislate, put into law, and thrown into law the principles or the values of the church upon the nation. There's a huge debate, even in Christendom today, um, what has happened in America a number of weeks with the overturning of the formal um, um, decision on Roe versus Wade that legitimized and legalized abortion. By the overturning now, abortion becomes something illegal uh, or that is left for each state in the United States of America to decide what they're going to do, but largely it makes it illegal. And of course, the Christian church has been rejoicing, uh, the conservative side of the Christian church, if you like, has been rejoicing and consider it 
to be a victory, which, which is only symptomatic of our mindset or of the theology that suggests that the way to further the church and the kingdom of God is by entering into government and then being able to legislate our own values upon the rest of the world. So whether they like it or they don't, they have to adhere to our own values. It's a huge debate. So we have this conflict and this division even inside the church. Now, when this philosophy of the church has to enter into the world and enter into the government and then through political legislations enforce the rules and the values of, of God upon the nations, was this the script that Christ gave us? Was this the assignment that Christ gave us? Was this how God wants us to win the world? Should we not aspire in to, to be in government and to influence policies? What are you saying, Pastor Temi? Are you against that? Of course not. I am very much for that we should aspire. In fact, we need men and women to rise and enter into various political offices. We definitely should. But the mistake I think that we make is when we think that we are going to win the world by legislation, that we're going to get the world into the kingdom by legislating through the apparatus of the world. I dare say, now you might not agree with me, but maybe when you think and meditate the more on it, you will come to see where I'm coming from. I dare say that our role in government and in legislation and in the rulership of nations is more defensive than it is offensive, though offense can sometimes be the best form of defense. But understand, I'm going somewhere. It's more defensive to slow down and where possible, stop the advance of legislation of the doctrines of devil upon us or upon us all. You understand what I'm saying now? So what it is, is that the world and Satan wants to use the apparatus of legislation and of government to entrench its own ideals so that it starts to redefine age-old ancient landmarks and uses the law to enforce it. So we need to be in government um, to, 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 to stop that, to slow down that process uh, and where possible stop that process, that we want the laws of the land to be equitable to be balanced to allow everybody to be able to make a choice are you hearing me what i'm saying we do not want to rob men and women of their choice hallelujah but the point i'm making the fine balance i'm making is that we need to be careful that we are not swinging to the other extreme where we too are trying to do what the devil and his hordes are trying to do where we think that we are going to win the world by legislation rather than by the conviction of the spirit, rather than by winning hearts and mind to our philosophy. When we now want to, by force, conform the world to the kingdom. No, it's not going to be by force. It's going to be by the potency of God's word and the gospel of the kingdom. In the history of some nations and the world, the church has 
uh, in times past held a lot of sway over the governments of the world. We read a lot in history books about how the Catholic Church seemed to rule the world because it was in every nation. So it actually played such a powerful role even in determining wars, determining what would happen in the, in the world, such sway the church had. Even in the, the birthing of the United States of America, the, the men that were involved in writing the Constitution, they were men that uh, were very conflicted and contradictory men. They had slaves, they had all sorts of things going on in their lives, but they still borrowed from the text of the Bible and used it to influence the foundation stones of the United States of America. But over the years, we've seen the church play various roles. And I'm talking about the historical church now and um, what has been called church. We're still going to get to the place where we're going to define the church as the Bible defines the church, have played great roles in the nations of the land and, uh, and even uh, enabled and committed atrocities in the nation of the land. And this has uh, gave birth to the rise of the push for the separation of church and state. Have you heard that before? The separation of church and state. So the idea that was that we need to get the church out of the governance of nations because of the abuses of the church in governance in times past. So there was a whole strong move to separate church and state. And it is a modern philosophy even till today that there has to be a separation between the church and the state. The state, the governance needs to be something separate from whatever the church is. That the church is about spiritual things while the governance is about temporal and physical things. But this idea of the separation of church and state has been pushed to the extreme where now what the world wants to do is have the church relegated into a corner and stay locked in its own four walls. Well, that devil is a liar. We are coming out of the corner and we are about to take center stage. If you believe it, come on, shout amen. We are not going to swing from one extreme to the other extreme. We're not going to allow the, the errors and the atrocities of the past to now define our future. We're going to get it right. Hallelujah. So the world and the idea of the separation of church and state wants to, in its extreme, lock up the church in a corner and lock up the church in its own four walls. Uh, but the, the, the assignment of the church is to go into the world. We are not of the world, but we are sent into the world to save the world. So we must refuse to be locked up in our own four walls or in a corner somewhere. When our assignment is to go into the world, even though we are not of the world, to save the world. And going into the world involves going into politics and even into government. I believe, I believe, now listen to me closely, I believe in the separation between church and state in as much as it is stopping the church from trying to control state and uh, by legislating its own values upon 
everyone. But I do not believe in the separation between church and state when it is defined as not letting the church have any say in the affairs of the state that affect us. Where the separation of church and, and state is to rob us of our voice and rob us of our say. Uh, everybody else gets a say but not the church. That devil is a liar. We will not endure or allow such a separation. Therefore, having these things in the correct balance is the challenge of the modern day believers. We need to listen to me. This is another word God has given me to be repeating over again. Don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. A lot of believers don't want to exercise themselves in studying and getting the accurate understanding of these things and finding the accurate balance. We want it to just be simple. No, no, no. Don't be lazy. Do the work. Do the homework to get it right to understand and find the right balance between these things. We don't need to be on one extreme or the other extreme. We can get it right. We are to be separated from the world in heart and conduct, yet we must go into that same world to win the hearts and minds of men to the saving knowledge of Christ Jesus. We are not to love the world and the things that are in the world, but at the same time, we are to love the people of the world and ever seek for their salvation. Hallelujah. Listen to me. Is it possible that our misgivings about church politics and, and, and the conflict that on the separation of church and state is rooted in our misunderstanding and gross misrepresentation of the purpose of the church, God's plan for the world. The church, listen to me, is God's plan for the world. But where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. When we don't understand the purpose of the church, we will abuse it and we will be abused by it. Abused is, uh, is allowed to be perpetrated when the abuser is not even aware that he's been abused because he does not understand the true purpose of a thing. The absence of purpose is the presence of abuse. The absence of purpose is the presence of abuse. If we do not get a deep and clear understanding of the biblical-based purpose of the church, we will abuse the church and we will be abused by the church. So this series is actually about gaining, listen, a clear and a deep understanding of the purpose and the power of the church. Oh, this is essential teaching. You will come out of this series fully understanding by the grace of God the purpose and the power of the church and your place and your part in it. And you will be inoculated from abuses of the church and from abusing the church yourself. If you believe it, come and say amen. Give God the praise right now. All right. So we go back to the original plan. The church, as much as I've said that the church is God's plan for the world, can I let you know that the church was not plan A? 
for the world. The church is plan B. Plan A was something else. The original plan for the world was not the church, but the godly family unit. That was the original plan. The plan was, right at the beginning, for a godly man to marry a godly woman and for them to bring forth godly seed who, when they came of age, would find and marry their own godly spouses and continue the cycle of the godly population of the earth. God's plan A for the world was the family unit. Was the family unit. So if everything was to go, was to, go to plan, what was going to happen was that Adam would know Eve. They would have godly seed. They would raise up those godly seed in the tenets and the values of the kingdom of God. And those godly seed will go on to find their own spouses and they will replicate the same. And then they would continue to populate the earth with godliness. That was the plan. Even when Paul gives us an illustration of the church in the New Testament, he uses the relationship between a husband and a wife to depict the church and the church's relationship with Christ. And he says something that is a bit cryptic at the end of that expose on the roles and responsibility of husband and wife in the context of marriage. We read, we pick it up in Ephesians in chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. It says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Then he says this, verse 32. This is a great mystery, and I speak concerning Christ and the church. Woo! All earlier in the chapter, he had been talking about what women are supposed to do in marriage, what a man is supposed to marry. And then after all of that exegesis, he closes and says, but this is a great mystery. I speak concerning Christ and the church. He's talking about husband and wife, and then he says it's actually an analogy for Christ and the church. God's plan A was the godly family unit. God's plan B is the church, but even the church is still about the godly family unit because he says here that this, this godly family unit exemplified in the appropriate relationship between the husband and the wife is just like the relationship between Christ and the church. So it's still about the family unit. God does not change his mind. So his plan of bringing heaven on the earth God's plan was to bring heaven on earth. His plan of bringing heaven on earth through the godly family unit has not changed. It has not changed. Maybe it has even become elevated to a whole new level because it's now the godly family unit of Christ and his church. Woo! Knowing this means, therefore, that the church should be partnering with God to raise, enable, and empower godly households, godly families. So we are raising godly men and godly women to have God, to become godly husbands and godly wives and have godly families, raising godly children. Hallelujah. This is part of our assignment and our purpose. The Old Testament is a type and a shadow 
of the new. So we have a clearer understanding of the old in the light of the new. Are you hearing me? Ah, uh, yes. The Old Testament also reflects the light of the new back on the new, giving us even more light. You hear me what I'm saying? The, 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 the Old Testament, we understand the Old Testament from the light of the New Testament now. But that light coming from the New Testament onto the Old Testament, the Old Testament reflects it back onto the new, giving us even more light. So we can pick things from the old now in the light of the new, and it even makes us better grasp what the new is all about. I don't know whether you hear me what I'm saying. Yeah. Oof, Jesus, help me. Um, so Eve, Adam's wife, was taken out of his side. The church... The bride of Christ was birthed and also taken out of the side of Jesus when he was pierced in the side and blood and water gushed out of his side. So we start to see the typology and we see how Jesus' coming and what he did and what was done to him was a perfect replica uh, of what ha happened with Adam because he was replacing what Adam had done. Oh, Jesus, help us to understand this. We are born again into the body of Christ. The contrast between the first and the last was that the first Adam refused to take responsibility for his wife, while the last Adam, Christ Jesus, took full responsibility for his bride, the church. So he died for his bride. He took on the sin of his bride, even though he was without sin. He took full responsibility. This was what Adam was meant to do, the first Adam, but he did not do. He did not represent God appropriately in that context. While the last Adam, Christ Jesus, fully represented God, I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's all right, uh, and to, died for his bride. Hallelujah. So we clearly see that the family unit is the primary analogy for the church. Hallelujah. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, he says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You see, what God always wanted was a family. We have many analogies for the church, and they all have their value and their good. There's nothing wrong with them. The church is a building. The church is a field, uh, an army, a hospital. But I dare say that the best and primary analogy for the church is actually the family unit. And some of these analogies have where they fall short. If you only see the church as a hospital for sick people, and it's not a wrong analogy, it's just not a complete analogy. What therefore happens is that you come into the church sick, and once you get well, you leave. Because nobody wants to live in a hospital. Hello? Who wants to live in a hospital? You only go to the hospital because you got some sickness. So now, once you get cured of your sickness, what do you do? you leave the hospital. So if your only picture of the church is that it is a hospital, then you're ever going to be not staying. You're going to be leaving the church because once you feel you're better, then you leave. Once you don't feel good again, you come back to church. That's an abuse of church. <laughs> and revealing that you don't have a clear understanding of the purpose of the church. The church is meant to be a family unit. God, listen, Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father 
who art in heaven. Uh, we are uh, God is our father. We are children and sons of God. You are my brother. You are my sister. I am your brother. All these are components of a family. What God wanted was a family. When you got born again, you did not just become a member of the body of Christ or a soldier in the army of God. You became a part of the family of God. Hallelujah. And Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6 lets us know that you are accepted in the beloved. Listen, I'm not the one that accepts you. I'm not the one that accepts you. It's God that has already accepted you. It's too late. Even if I don't like you, it's too late. You're already accepted in the body of Christ, in the family of God. Oh, glory to God. Listen, it's too late. If you don't like me, I'm already accepted. I'm already accepted. Uh, you don't like my style. You don't like the way I talk. Well, sorry, you still gotta love me because I'm already a member of the body of Christ. I'm in the family of God. Amen and amen. I start to bring this to a close by going back to the future. Woo, hallelujah. We go back to be able to go to the future. To truly understand the purpose of the church, we have to go back to the original plan. Now, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the intent of the original plan in the beginning, God created a man, male and female created he, he them, and he created them to be in, in his image and his likeness upon the earth. So at the heart of the original plan of God for man was that man would be the representation and extension of the kingdom of God upon the earth. Are you getting me what I'm saying? Yes, we talk about dominion, but that dominion is for the purpose of the representation and extension of the kingdom of God upon the earth. Because God said, let us make man in our own image and in our own likeness. So man was meant to be on earth what God was in and is in the heavens. No wonder when Jesus came, he taught us to pray and he says that the, the priority of your prayer after you have hallowed the name of the Lord is thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven because God does not change his mind. His original intent is still his intent today that the heavens will come upon the earth through men. Hallelujah. His intent is that is still that men will be fully representative of him upon the earth. That was his intent. But Adam fell and failed in accurately representing God upon the earth. When, when his wife fell, instead of him representing God and refusing to partake of it also, and then standing in the gap for her, he too fell. If we are not careful, we too will fall into the same error of the first Adam of misrepresenting God upon the earth. When our assignment is to rightly represent God upon the earth. I dare say that that probably is still a major problem even today. We already have a huge misrepresentation of God by men to men. <laughs> Many people painting a wrong picture of God uh, to men. Hallelujah. God, Jesus came to represent God to the world. Ooh, hallelujah. Glory to God. He came to represent. Listen to that word represent. It's re and present. So what represent means means to represent. Jesus came to represent God to the world. Oh yes. Hallelujah. When the disciples, Philip in particular, asked him that 
Just show us the Father and that will be sufficient for us. Jesus replied that have I been with you so long that you do not know that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You see that in John chapter 14, verse 8 and 9. What Jesus was saying in essence was, I am, I, I am already accurately representing my Father. If you've seen me, you've seen him. I am an exact replica. I am fulfilling that primary mandate from the beginning, which was that man will represent God upon the earth, face of the earth so that anyone that encounters Adam has just encountered God. But Adam failed and wasn't representing God accurately. So Jesus came and represented God so that when we encountered him, we were encountering God. Are you hearing me what I'm saying? In the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, I read from verse 1 to verse 3a. It says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the father to the fathers by the prophet has in these last days spoken to us by his son by his son so now he's talking about the son whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the worlds who being in the brightness of his image and the express image the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power did you see that it says that Jesus is the express image of his person, the express image of God. Where Adam failed, Jesus excelled. Hallelujah. Adam was created to in the image and the likeness of God, but failed to represent, represent him accurately. But Jesus was the express image. So he represented. Glory to God, he represented. Hallelujah. You know, you got to represent too. That's your assignment. Your assignment is to represent. You know, sometimes we jokingly, uh, maybe we're going for a function and uh, you, you dress up nice for the function. You got in a nice, some nice clothes and all of that. You're looking, you know, just suave and sharp from top to bottom. Um, and people are like, oh, wow, pastor, you're looking so good today. And I, I typically say to them that I'm just trying to represent. Hallelujah. Because I, I realize that when they look at me, I'm not just representing me. I'm representing who sent me. Whoo, glory to God. Hallelujah. The assignment of accurately representing God that Jesus did has now been passed on to the church. I dare say the ultimate purpose of the church is still to re represent represent God to the world. Now, let's quickly look at Ephesians and chapter 4. I read from verse 1 to verse 13. We're still going to be looking more at this scripture, but there's just something I want to bring out of this scripture as we round up tonight's teaching. And he said, and he, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipment of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Listen to verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This text is the operational plan for the church. But the focus that I'm looking at in the text today is that last part, which is the ultimate purpose of the church revealed in the text. It says, till we all come to the perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, 
through the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So it's all about accurately representing Christ, God to the world. Church, we are called to represent him to the world, to represent him to the world. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, it says, do we begin, this is Paul writing again, to commend ourselves, or do we need some others uh, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you. Listen to verse 2. You are our epistle written in our hearts and known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, on tab not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of flesh. That is of the heart. What does this mean? You are an epistle of Christ, known and read by all men. You are a representative of Christ, the body of Christ, church of God. You are epistles of Christ, known and read by all men. You are the only Christ that some people in the world will ever encounter. So it behoves us to accurately represent him. You are the hands of Christ that some will ever touch. You are the heart of Christ that some will ever know. You are the eyes of Christ that some will ever have look upon them. You are the mouth of Christ that some will ever know. God's plan for the world is the church. And it is for the church to represent him accurately to the world. The church might not be, have been plan A, but it is definitely the current plan of God for the world. And in fact, it's still plan A, hidden in plan B, the church, the church. It's going to be an exhilarating journey this month. This has just been laying the foundation and we're going to build on this foundation. I'm going to get into your business a little bit. I'm going to set you straight on the church and what we are really supposed to be. Uh, because many demands are made of us that are actually not in our modus operandi at all. It's not in our DNA. It's not in our purpose. And there are things we are meant to be doing as a church that we're not doing. There are many things that the church, the modern day church has been metamorphosized into that are actually far away from the divine original intent of God. God's plan for the world is the church. It might not have been plan A. It might be plan B, but it's very much the current plan of God for the world. And as you, if you listen to me well tonight, you realize that even the plan A is still inside the plan B, the church. The church, the mainstay of truth the glory of God, meant to be the accurate representation of God upon the earth. And it's not some fictitious cloud somewhere. It's you. It's me. It's us together. You know, we like making statements, ah, the church did this, the church did that. You are the church. You are responsible. I'm responsible. Together, we come together to represent God accurately to our world. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. I, I com commend you to go back to study and to think about and listen to this message over and again and just let God speak to you and let God start to sort some things out in your life in the name of Jesus. I pray over areas of your life that have not been representative of Christ at all 
that those areas will be made straight right now in the name of Jesus. That there is going to be a shift in your mindset. You're going to move away from the, the, the wrong ideologies of what the church is, is and what the church is meant to be. And you start to embrace the right mindset and ideologies of what the church is really meant to be. Amen and amen and amen. If you're out there and you're not yet a member of the body of Christ, you have not joined this glorious family, this is your opportunity. Harden not your heart in the day of salvation. If you're ready to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please repeat these words of prayer after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for the price that you paid. Thank you for giving your life for me. Thank you that you did not come to condemn me but to save me. Today, I repent of my sin and I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I believe with my heart and I confess with my mouth, you are my Lord. By faith, therefore, I am saved. I am a new creation. I am born again. If you prayed that prayer, you are indeed saved and we are so excited to receive you into the body of Christ. Hallelujah. Can you please directly message us on any of our social media platforms? Give us a phone call, send us a text message or follow the pathway on our website so that we can help you to grow from being a child of God to becoming a mature son of God, fully representing Christ upon this earth please do that we can't close out tonight's service without giving an opportunity for you to give unto the work of the lord and it takes a whole lot of finance to do what we do I want to really encourage you to give generously and give abundantly towards the work of the lord hallelujah please choose the way that is most preferred by you to give but don't withhold your giving I know it's challenging days and times that we're living in, but we live by faith and we live by our seed. So don't withhold your seed. Please give generously and give faithfully to the works of the Lord. And I believe that as you obey God in this regard, God is going to bless you. The windows of heaven are already opened over your life. Now they manifest in your life in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Let's close out with a word of prayer. Father, thank you. Bless your people indeed. Liberate them in their thinking as regards the church. Cause them to start to aspire and move fully into the direction of being representative of you on the earth and bringing the heavens to the earth in Jesus' name. Let's share the grace in fellowship. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with us now and forevermore. Amen and amen. And surely, God's goodness and God's mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. And we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen and amen. God bless you. See you soon.